Hi everyone, uh, this is Celeste from Me After Work and welcome back to You Don't Know What You Don't Know, our weekly podcast. And today we have Anuj Sarogi and he's from the New South Wales government, but we won't be talking government, I promise. Thank we'll God be talking about base camp and getting to base camp Everest. I met Anuj probably a couple of weeks ago and we just had a bit of a random conversation and he told me about how over the new year period he climbed Everest base camp and I thought okay this is a good topic for our listeners to um, hear more about. I had a look at um, some of the statistics that said it's a 120 kilometres trek, 17,600 feet above sea level. My phone tracked me at about 180 uh, kilometres of the entire trip uh, in terms of that 16 days of trek and Obviously, didn't count the times when I didn't have the phone on me. Uh, but so does it count the incline? Because when I did Oxfam, I just never knew. And they said at Oxfam that it does. But yeah, because does it? it does. In terms, yeah. But I don't know how my phone calculates it. So it does it in terms of steps and so on. But I do think uh, it takes into account something in terms of the distance you have walked. Or, mm. I don't know. Okay, so, so you think you did a lot more than that? Oh, uh, yeah. Do you because, feel a bit jibbed because me saying 120 days? Uh, no, because I didn't do the direct base camp. I did a longer route via Gokyo and Kala, uh, uh. you know, Chola Pass and so on. So if you do the traditional base camp, it's a lot shorter. Whereas if you do the route, which is a scenic route, which takes a few days more, mm-hmm. then you pack a few more kilometers as well. Okay, so, well done. But I don't know, anywhere between 160 to 180 or whatever number of kilometers, uh, without counting the trips to the loo or anything else. <laughs> and 17,000, 17,000 and a half feet above sea level, uh-huh. and that's half of actual Mount Everest, because Mount Everest is 30,000 feet above sea level. Yeah, so I think uh, in terms of meters, it's somewhere about 5,400 something meters and the actual height is 8,800 uh, something meters mm-hmm. and the highest I went to because I went to Kalapathar as well so that's 5,643 meters above sea level I don't know what it translates into feet, feet. yeah yeah so um, and does, did it feel like um, when you 8,000 meters did you could could you comprehend that in your head before you actually even started walking you realize that only when you are at that top uh, and you know when I was at base camp which is somewhere about 5-4 uh, something and you still had another more than 3 kilometers of you know mountain uh, or the peak of Everest sitting right in front of you and you imagine when the conditions are so tough wherever we were and the climb how difficult it would be to do those another 3500 meters of climb which you know people lose their lives and you know it's so extreme that you need to be really physically at the top of your game um, so I was humbled by that you know I could do my whatever 5640 odd meters at the Kalapathar and then just you know uh, looking at the Everest from there I'm like you know that's truly it's a magnificent you know peak and a mountain it's known as Sagar Matha uh, you know Everest is uh, Nepalese name and it actually means the head, you know, sort of the crown, something on those lines, I guess. So it definitely mm. is one. So. so is base camp just on one side, on the, so the Nepalese camp, side? The base camp is on sort of the base as such of the Mount Everest. Uh, so it's at the foot of mm-hmm. it. But it's not that from that point onwards you immediately start climbing the Everest. 
So you uh, have to, because obviously due to various climate changes and so on, it's surrounded by a lot of glaciers. Uh, so the base camp is actually where people set up their tents mm -hmm. when they start their summit, which is their starting point of the Everest summit. Uh, from there, you trek for a few more uh, kilometers and you reach the advanced base camp, which for which to reach there, you need a permit. And you only get a permit if you're doing the Everest summit. And the, Evra, uh, the advanced summit, is, uh, the advanced base camp is uh, obviously in the glaciers and the interiors, you can see it maybe a little bit from afar, but it's it's a trek in itself. And then you do camp one, two, three, four, mm -hmm. and then from four is your death climb, which is the last eight hundred meters of wow. incline or thousand meters of incline, which you do in a day and then come back down. Uh, so yeah. there's because there's two sides, isn't it? There's the Nepal side and the Tibetan side. That's right. Or oh, the Chinese side. Yeah. Yeah. To climb Everest, and yeah. that comes is, is that when you get to a certain camp, and then you can. I would imagine so. So obviously, the traditional or the more actively used one is the Nepalese side, and then from there you go to the South Col, as they call it, or one of the other uh, sort of sides. There are those two ends, and then. From that point onwards, you decide which end and how you are sort of going. I thought that I'm not yet there. Let's not worry about yeah, the other Yeah, that's bits. good. I was going <laughs> to say, why don't we get you to come back and talk to us when you, if exactly. you ever do actual Everest. So uh, let's talk base Maybe camp. another six years, if I can. Apparently, three to five people die each year on the Everest, on doing Everest base camp. Yeah, okay. did Did they speak to you about that and the dangers of actually, and, and how did you manage that mentally? Like, I didn't care. Okay, why? That's um, Because I didn't even read a lot of what the information that they give. I just sort of glanced through because, I don't know, something That's in interesting. Head. You're a planner. I, oh, I'm a management person. I manage and I plan things strategically and various other things. But I know myself uh, and I know what I need to know. You know, it's something you don't know what you don't know kind yeah. of a thing. So... So long as I feel mentally I can do it, uh, all I have to keep in my mind is it's, you know, I'd read something one step at a time, one breath at a time, and so on. Okay, so that's, that's what my focus was, you know, not worry about how harsh the conditions would be, what uh, I need to sort of worry about, and so on. Uh, just look at it from one day, every day, if I get through one day each day, if I'm happy at the end of it, you know, that's good enough. Did you ever think that, like, that you could die? No. I didn't worry about it. Okay. Have you ever, did you watch the movie Everest and Sherpa? Yeah, I have seen okay. both the movies. Did you feel like you were living that movie at any stage while you were climbing? Well, I think that movie's motivated me more to go and think about Everest at some stage or the other. Uh, but, you know, looking at those movies, I felt, uh, you know, me as a climber, okay, I'm doing some efforts, but it's the Sherpas and so on that do a lot more. So uh, when you see a lot of those porters and Sherpas carrying that heavy load, it indirectly sort of, you know, kicks you in the gut saying, come on, this is, you know, if they can, you know, carry about 50 kilos on their head or 40 kilos or 30 kilos on their head or shoulders and still manage to trek and at a pace faster than you, mm. come on, you need to be a bit more, you know, not be a person than, you know, climb up. So... Um, um, what about the altitude? It did affect me, I think, uh, when I went uh, to Gokyo. Like, right through the beginning, I was fine for, I think, eight or ten days. Only when I went up to Gokyo, I think, uh, from memory, there was about 700 to 1,000 metres incline on one day, where we started from Gokyo and went up to Gokyo-ri. 
which is a hill. So we started off around 43, 4,400 meters and went up to about 5,400 meters altitude. And that's when I started feeling the altitude sickness effects and so on, nausea, vomiting, headache. I told my guide that, okay, I'm feeling it. I need to, so as soon as we did our photos or whatever. Um, so I somehow managed to go up uh, without any issues. And like, obviously I was feeling it, but I was like, no, I need to do it. Uh, by hook or by crook, I'm not getting myself, you know, choppered out in a, you know, helicopter or anything. I need to go to the Everest Base Camp, and I'm not st- uh, ending my journey here. So I went up to the Gokyo Ri, which is the highest point uh, of that Ri or hill or whatever you call it, and uh, we did our photos. And then I told my guide leader Sherpa, saying, "All right, you guys can stay back, but I think I need to go down. I'm not feeling too great." And he gave me one person who was the his right hand sort of a Sherpa thingy, and um, he helped. Like we came down basically, you know, quickly. Um, oh, so that was when you reached Gokuri. Yeah. Okay. And we came back to our base where we were staying for the oh. night, and uh, obviously, as soon as I came down, I had to lie uh, down, you know, flat. I had my, you know, anti-emetics headache, painkillers, and so on. I vomited out. I don't know how much I got in, how much it went Did out. Did you think about, like, stopping um, and turning I was, around? No, I didn't want to turn around. I was hoping that the medicines should start working. I want to go to the base camp. I don't want to fly out in a chopper yet. I did discuss that option with him in terms of what would happen in Is case this of... Is part of contingency planning? Uh, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> because I told him right in the beginning that by hook or by crook, I need to complete it. So come what may we need to do it. So Why so determined? Like, what was driving you to... Um, I don't know, something that I had made up my mind that I want to do it. And for me, it was a test to, at some stage in the future, how much I can push my head and my mind. Uh, and if I'm thinking about Everest and if I can't do base camp, then I'm thinking that, you know, perhaps this high-level altitude trekking and hiking is not for me as such. Um, so I wanted to see what I can push myself without it being too dangerous. And uh, he said, you know, don't worry, you'll be fine. You're physically quite fit and I've seen you pushing and so on. So, you know, just rest it out. And then the medicine start kicking in. Uh, I had to take another dose because the vomits had taken a few of them out maybe. And uh, I think once it started kicking in, I felt a lot better. Next day was a lot more better, uh, and I went on with my trek. So he was like, see, you didn't have to, you know, go into that pressure altitude chamber, whatever that was, or, you know, in a, basically a bag, or fly out from the helicopter. So, um, I was reading a blog of someone who actually had done base camp, and they said that they had really um, vivid dreams each night, dreams mm-hmm. that they've never had. Did you have that experience at all? Do you have weird dreams? I did have a lot of dreams and um, can't remember most of them now uh, because you tend to forget when you wake up in the morning. You remember it for a little while and then it goes off because you have. But they were were, were they different to like? Did it feel any was there anything strange about the dreams that you're having on on the mountain? Um, I think you remember or think or have a lot of your personal you know journey and so on that comes in your dream in some shape or form because you have a lot more time for yourself so reflection sort of i would imagine or some life incidences or related to those are you know from past experiences and therefore something as your mind projections or something 
because I think you know spending such a long amount of time by yourself in that altitude and you know your the lights are off by about seven you are in your tent whenever you know I would fall asleep nine ten or whatever but you had a lot more time just for yourself no more distractions of your phones or televisions or iPads or laptops or work or friends or anyone else so I think you tend to have a lot more of your sort of you know past experiences like feel free to answer this if you like yeah what through those times what did you do you have any self-discovery moments um or not through the dreams as such I don't no outside that. so just you know in the times that when you were by yourself because if it's a lot of time by yourself mm. i think more in terms of self-discovery i would think surviving although you are with a group of people but you're still by yourself you know, your group does become your sort of family and friends for that duration. But I still think that you are a lot by yourself. You know, when you're trekking, you're focused on your walk. You're focused on, you know, getting that next step or, you know, getting to that next point. And perhaps, you know, thinking, okay, another half an hour, another one hour, another two hours, whatever that might be, perhaps just over the hill. So it's more about... Are you thinking about your life as well? I think more in terms of uh, your, I would say your mental strength and your resilience as such, because that's what gets tested and how much you can push yourself. So that's what was there for me. In terms of life, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, I would think more on the lines of where and what you would want to do. What are the, you know, materialistic or non-materialistic things that, you know, interest you? Because doing that trek, and that was one of the things in my mind in terms of exploring, looking at different areas and world and so on, your existence, you need to have, you know, decent living, earning, just so that you can support all these things. But that don't matter as such. When you're out trekking for 16 days without having a shower, obviously water is important, but what's important is, you know, the other things in life and not the luxuries as such. So what is important? Um, I think it's just about the life experience is what you get and what builds you personally, professionally, mentally. Um, I think, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, sort of, you know, uh, these situations. So, What made you decide that? The Everest base camp? Yeah. Till about uh, Feb 2017, I was quite fat. I was quite heavy, I was quite obese, or not obese as such, but I was about 14-15 kilos heavy. I put on a lot of weight in my travel, uh, six months sabbatical in India, and just in terms of my work, I was like working crazy hours and so on. And my fitness levels were down, I don't know, maybe 100 meters walk, and that would make me half and puff. So I thought of turning that around, and uh, I remember some friend of mine mentioning about every space camp somewhere, about July, August or somewhere thereabouts, and I knew that I wanted to do the Everest, but I didn't know about the base camp as such, you can go to the base and so on. So when I had explored it, I was like, okay, I'm not sure whether I'll be physically fit enough to do the Everest at some stage or the other after watching the Everest movie. At least I can do the Everest base camp. And that would be like, you know, half a summit I will consider in my head if I'm thinking about doing the seven or the eight summits, you know, highest peaks in each continent. And I'll think that, okay, even if I do the others and I can't do the Everest, at least I would have been in that region to the base camp as such. I knew I wanted to do it, never sort of trained for it. And I was planning for more in 2018, March, April. And that's when I thought maybe I'll start training something. 
but then somewhere in December I thought you know what I can do it now let's just do it so, so that was like 12 months ago so in in the space of 10 months you said you decided pretty much to start um, in the space of 10 months I just sort of thought about getting myself fit somewhere about August September or later in the year October November I thought I want to do the base camp really want to do the base camp but maybe next year uh, you know I need to perhaps train for it uh, so maybe somewhere between April and June I was thinking uh, so April and June 2018 is when I was aiming to do it but then in December mid-December I just decided I'll do it now right away that's fabulous how how long have you been thinking about Everest um, since I saw the Everest movie so uh, how maybe long? a few years ago was that what three years ago or something? yeah I would yeah. imagine so so, and it's not that I've done any preparation towards it. Yet. But it's, a, it's there aspirational. Do you have no fear around climbing Everest or is there? Well, I don't know. If it's said that if you go on Everest, then that's one of the best places to, you know, leave the earth. So I don't mind it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I'm not scared yeah. about it. Uh, I think... Uh, so you, the no of, fear of death? Uh, I don't mind it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like obviously, I would want to live, but if that happens, it happens. You can't control it. Mm. A lot of people do, is... do have a fear of death. Why? Why don't you think you do? I don't know. That's a bit of a deep question. It is a deep question. <laughs> Answer as you like. Uh... You can say pass if you like to. <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, I guess. I've not been afraid of death as such, and like I've been a doctor myself, so you know I've seen oh, okay. a lot of deaths in that sort of sense as well. But not that it prepares you to die as such. But I think I've achieved uh, what I wanted to achieve. You know, I'm content in terms of whatever I've done so far. Normally, people might fear death is because they would have a lot of unfinished dreams or business or whatever that might be that they want to do. Obviously, I still want to explore the world and so on, but. I still think whatever I've achieved so far, I've been quite, you know, content uh, with that. So if I'm doing something that I love doing and if I go in that, then that's fine. Uh, unless I'm not going in a car accident then <laughs> with a foolish, you know, sort of walking, jaywalking on the road or something like that. But yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> what advice would you give to someone that is thinking about um, climbing to base camp? Don't think too much. If you want to do it, just go ahead and do it. If you think you are relatively fit, do it. If you think you can do spit to Mandy uh, without it being too difficult for you, if you can do it in two hours, you can do Oh, wow. Yeah. That's good. I'll say do it because you can take your time, go with the company or a private you know, Sherpa or whoever and say that you'll take your own sweet time. Let them be there to motivate you but not hold you back. And yeah, just do it. Did you find, even though it's um, a quite isolating or you had time on your own, there's still a lot of people around? When I went, yeah, there were there are people around, but when I went, I remember, um, I think the population, the footfall might be just about 15% of what the high peak season footfall might be. Uh, there were days when we would, uh, like or there were times when in that entire town, maybe we were the only group who were there and hardly anyone else because it was, and especially when we took the scenic route of going via Gokyo and Chola because in that season, in December, January, Chola can be a really difficult and dangerous period. Mm. Uh, 
and uh, it can be covered with eyes and so on. So not people choose that route. They might choose the traditional base camp route. And a number of people had thought that the Chola Pass would be closed at that point in time. So we were the only one on, the, on that trek, uh, you know, crossing. Although we did see some of the, you know, where we were staying before crossing the Chola Pass, some of the people who had crossed from the other side to this side did mention, you know, they did encounter eyes and they were isolated and they were lost and so on, who were doing it solo. Um, so there wasn't like, you know, when you read about it, it says that there's so many people and you're lining up and queuing. Yeah. Okay, so you, you were off peak. That's what, that was one of the other reasons why when I decided and I realised that it would be one of the off peak seasons, so not many people. And, Is that because uh, it's around Christmas and New Year and people are less likely? And it's very cold. Yeah, okay. About minus, wow. 20, minus 25 degrees uh, Celsius, so, so not many people choose to go mm. at that period of time. So even, you know, many of the people who are supporting the trekkers in the sense the ones who run the lodges and so on, even they tend to be based downstairs rather than coming up and running those towns. I remember two people... Uh, one guide and one, you know, trekker. Uh, they mentioned they went to a particular lodge in a town. There was no one in the entire town. This lodge was somehow open. They saw the menu card. They cooked themselves. They ate it and they left the money and they, you know, trekked on the next day. So that's how you know mm. it is. So, but whereas in between March and June or September, it's very crowded. Yeah. Uh, you might have to wait on certain bridges to pass through, get your turn, yeah. How is it coming back to work after an experience like that? Well, I think you feel, because when I set out, obviously I remember that I didn't train myself as such. I was relying on my mental you know, strength to say, you know, I could perhaps do it. And thinking by that. doing uh, the spit to manly and so on, I thought that's, you know, good enough for me to keep me, you know, <laughs> uh, prepare me for it. Although I've not done that recently before going as well. I think my only preparation was going to Mount Kosciuszko and doing that Mount Kosciuszko sort of, you know, trek or walk in one day. I thought, yeah, right, I can do it, I guess. Let's see. And even the shoes are just, what, like two days before flight now. So, but coming back, when you achieve something like this, you feel that, yes, if you've set up your mind, you can do it and you've done it, then that's the sense of accomplishment. You know, it makes you realise that, no, I don't think things are impossible as such. Not that, you know, I can set up my mind and say tomorrow I'm going to Everest and I'll just leave. That would be foolish. So if you come back to working at your desk and, you know, three days ago you're at base camp, yeah. what, like, how, what's your work, how does that change your perspective on your day-to-day life? There was a bit of a gap for me at least three weeks uh, after the base camp before I came back to work. You feel energetic, you feel fit, you feel happy, you feel accomplished. And uh, it's a new sort of, you know, rigor back into your work. Achieve something. Uh, sense of pride as well. Mm. Okay, so the last question is, when will you do Everest? I definitely want to do it. It's time expensive. So that's one How I'm much does it cost? I don't know. I've heard about sixty to 80,000 US dollars. I'm not 100% sure. So that again varies with which company and so on. And... Do you think it's worth it, $80,000? That's one of my considerations because I have a lot of other things in my head that I want to do and whether then spending that amount of money to do Everest would be worth it. It's still in my head that I want to do it. I don't know because I sometimes uh, take these impulsive decisions and I'll just do. So for my travel, 
most of the time I just you know decide and I leave in a few days, a couple of days or a week. I don't plan much as far as my you know personal life and travel and so on are concerned. Uh, I might plan for my work side of things in terms of whatever projects I'm doing or whatever programs I'm sort of over, uh, looking or reforms or whatever. But in, as far as my personal side of life concerns... That's so interesting. Do you think that that's the balance, that the working is such a plan and then, then maybe this other area of your life you don't feel like you want to plan? I think so, because I've seen a lot of people, you know, planning their holidays a year in advance or, you know, 12 months or 8 months or 10 months, and it never works with me. I end up cancelling those uh, plans. The earliest I booked a flight ticket uh, was three months in advance, and that too I ended up cancelling. So you like the spontaneous reality? I like the spontaneity uh, in travel or in whatever I'm doing. It, you know, you can't sort of plan for life on most occasions is what I feel you know you might have a plan and you know things might happen the other way around so you can't control every aspect of it it's better to go for spontaneous you know uh, you know elements so in that way you're not disappointed what's happening or what's not happening so okay I do have one other question actually did you have any spiritual connection climbing the mountain people talk about having spiritual experience especially around the Himalayas And there's so many stories about what could appear or what's appeared, but did you have any...? Well, when you are over there, you look at, you know, hardly any people around, but just mountains and, you know, serene nature. Kailasha or Kailash Parvat or whatever the mountain in one of the Indian elements or even in Buddhism, it's associated with certain gods as well. So when you are over there, you do feel, you know, you are in that sort of a pilgrim area. And when you are trekking, you see those, you know, Buddhist shortens, as they call them, where they create a pyramid out of stones. Um, So flat stones, one on top of the other. There could be two stones, one on top of the other, or seven or four or five or whatever that might be. So it's the pilgrims who are Buddhist, they create those shortens, them offering prayers, Uh, you know for that journey of theirs so you are surrounded by all those elements and whether you are spiritual or you are believing in something or not you do feel that perhaps element around what is the big attraction this is we're going to end because i could go on for all day asking questions but what is the attraction of the mountain for me uh, it's the peace and quiet so obviously I live in the heart of Sydney CBD or almost in the heart and I like the hustle and bustle of here but in between I would like to sort of just escape from all the chaos and just go out in the nature and in the peace and I think mountains offer that mm. uh, it offers you a sort of a quiet element it also pushes you physically and mentally so that's one of the challenges I think people like uh, you know to test their um, you know strength mental and physical. The more restricted it is, you know how when you tell a child it's a chocolate you can't have, they want to have it. So. I know, but you've, um, just speaking to you makes it um, so much more accessible than I ever thought it was. The only thing that's challenging is the uphill, the incline many times. And it's not that I'm berating the Everest base camp trek, it is definitely physically strenuous. But I'm saying that that should not be the factor to push you back, to keep mm. you back. You know, if you think you are medically fit to 
you know, just to put in that disclaimer, if you think you're medically fit, if your heart can take it, then go for it. Don't keep yourself back because of it. Did you ever think that there could be an avalanche? Oh, when we were crossing the Chola Pass, yes, we were hoping there shouldn't be a chopper flying over our head because a few days before another group had passed from the same company uh, that we were doing it, and they said they were there was almost an avalanche that swiped them away because a helicopter passed over their head and that resulted in a bit of a flow of eyes. Yeah, we did think about it and especially in that area, the rocks can fall any time. Um, one step at a time, one breath at a time. Yeah, absolutely. I read that somewhere, so I'm using that. I think I'm taking that too. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you.